The Guardian. Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life. Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, and 24-7 support. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer code GUARDIAN to get 10% off. Hello, this is Music Weekly. I'm Alexis Petridis. And I'm Kieran Yates. This week, Swedish metal band Ghost invites us to drink with them from Satan's Cup. An offer is difficult to refuse, and we invited one of them to talk about their obsession with the devil and how to best combine Satanism with nice, accessible rock music. We also have music from Kay Trinada, Say Lulu, and Fat White Family and Singles Club. That's all the Music Weekly from The Guardian. Joining us on the pod this week, Michael Han. Always a pleasure to have Michael Han in. And it's always a delight to be with The Guardian's own Fern and Reggie. (laughs) 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 It's amazing. They don't even present present the charts anymore, do they, Fern and Reggie? You've basically just come on and and tried to make some hip cultural reference. (laughs) That's not a hip cultural reference. I was was watching Children in Need last week with my son and Fern Cotton was on on the procession of blondes 40 years younger than Terry Wogan, who was wheeled on to stand alongside Terry Wogan. Right. No. And I found myself thinking, well, there's Fern Cotton, but whatever did happen to Reggie Yates? Well, they do Top of the Pops Christmas, don't they? Oh, there you go. Yeah. Oh, there they are. They're, they're ringing. They're, they're, it's, it's, it's Reggie Yates on the phone. How dare you? No, you've basically come on. You've got, it's, it's great to be on with Simon D. And, you know, <laughs> no, I just wanted to call you Fern and Reggie. Oh, okay, no, I, think, I, think that's, I think that's good. Uh, what has been going on in the world of uh, music? Kanye West has a video out. Kanye West Bound 2 video, which features Kim Kardashian, which is why we care a little bit more about it than his other videos, I think. Poor old Kanye. Poor Has old it come Kanye. to this? Has it come to the, this? Yeah, well, uh, mm. It's kind of interesting. I think that everybody went, well, this is terrible that he's going out with Kim Kardashian because this sort of devalues him as an art in some way because he's mm. now part of this sort of ridiculous circus of this, you know, this woman that no one's really sure what she does other than have, you know... Gajungas. Gajungas, mm. yes, thank you. Mm. And yet he seems to be sort of exploiting that relationship. Rather than vice versa. Well, Kanye, what he reminds me of very much is the later Harry Potter novels. <laughs> uh, and it says, you know, the first Philosopher's Stone, 250 pages, totally plotted. By the time you get to the end, you know that no one at Bloomsbury is editing J.K. Rowling. Right, right, Because right, she is so right, powerful, right. she just does what she wants. And Kanye appears to be basically in that phase now, you know, turning up and saying to Def Jam, I'm Kanye. Mm, mm. You know I sell records. You know I've sold records. You know I fill arenas. This is what I'm doing. And if I want to do a video with my fiancée, the Grand Canyon, horses and sexual fantasies, that's what I'm going to do. What if the- I want to do an album that is full of you know harsh noise that doesn't sound a bit like College Dropout, that is what I will do. And they go, yeah, 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 of course. For the benefit of any uh, listeners who haven't seen the, uh, the the video itself, but his ears have uh, pricked up at the word sexual fantasies. What sexual fantasies are in this video? Well, interestingly, the video was premiered on Ellen's show, as in Ellen the talk show host. So it was like Ellen DeGeneres. Ellen DeGeneres, which kind of in itself is a bit of a strange choice of somewhere to premiere it rather than somewhere like Noisy or Pitchfork or somewhere mm. now right, somewhere a bit cooler. There's this brilliant moment when it's premiered because the video is just about kind of them, you know, sort of kissing. He's on a bike and there's green screen behind them, which is which shows images of sort of way out west horses and mm. you know mm-hmm. it's, it's very like fantastical can we can we cut to the chase about sexual fantasies sorry and then <laughs> she is bouncing on a bike and her titties are kind of bouncing and she's sort of panting and she's topless and she's kissing his neck and he's looking listlessly past her as he drives his motorbike 
So it's, you know, it's all... Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, it's interesting, the premiere on Ellen, because you know, everyone always says, well, when you, if you approach Kanye's publicity machine, which is one man at... Uh, an office in uh, Kensington, actually, in the UK. Mm-hmm. It's all, it just, uh, just doesn't do anything. He only likes to do unconventional things. But the problem is you must reach a point where there actually aren't, th- there actually aren't that many more unconventional things to do. So yes. you have to actually go to the incredibly conventional, oh, yeah, a US talk show host, because otherwise that's the yeah. only way you can subvert expectations anymore. It is, it is. It's interesting. Also, this week, uh, there was the uh, debacle of James Arthur of uh, X Factor Victory fame. I, 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 it's difficult to know what happened there, isn't it? I mean, it's it's, it's really hard to understand <laughs> it, it the thought process. Started so harmlessly. <clears throat> it did. I mean, he it probably did. should have turned down the offer to go onto the Radio One Extra Rap session in the first place. Yeah. Really? Yeah, that's that's the first but mistake. But from that, you know, the, the escalation is just preposterous. It, it was it was crazy. I was intrigued yeah. by the fact that a lot of people jumped on the homophobic angle. Yeah. Yes. Rather than the fact that he had been pretty racist as well. Very racist. Very racist. But the thing people really went for was the homophobic thing, mm-hmm. which is good because I've never heard homophobic abuse in hip-hop before. So this <laughs> is clearly the first person to ever use a homophobic epithet. And Mickey Worthless's rap was full of it as well. Well, isn't it more that he's, you know, he's come from the X Factor, which is yes. this sort of saccharine place, and, you know, lots of teenage girls know his music and would follow him in a way that they might not be following DEE Spiral in the yes. booth on Charlie Sloth's show. It's about him being homophobic, but it's about, you know, him representing a certain identity as a musician. Well, the, the other two things come out. The first, you know, clearly he's desperate to be regarded as credible. And certainly the way his publicists have been kind of contacting us through the autumn, trying to mm. reposition him. He's not just like Ollie Murs. He's not like Ollie Murs. He's, he's mm. edgy. He's edgy. A bit dangerous. <laughs> well, he is. And secondly, <laughs> secondly, he's clearly got a temper on him. Clearly can't yeah. leave things alone. Take slights personally. Yes, take slights personally. Yeah. It's one of those things where you think, how in this world, you know, the world that we now live in, one of media training and da-da-da-da-da, how was this not contained before it became getting in a slanging match with Frankie Boyle? I mean, that's, 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 that's pretty bad. I mean, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's the point at which he should have said, I'm probably not going to win this, because yeah. whatever I can think of, Frankie Boyle can think of something 15 times more insulting. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Front page of Music Week this morning. No million selling album in the UK this year. The wow. first time since he has 1614, when I think it was Sir Walter Raleigh's greatest <laughs> hits, only sold 990,000. He's big um, in the States as well. But the, the amazing thing out of this, was that the biggest selling single artist album of the year in the UK so far? Go on. Who do you think? Think of the big albums. Big albums this year. The ones that you've been unable well, One to Direction's album is not out yet. Yeah. It's not out yet. Not, not One Direction. Um, Rod Stewart. Outsold Daft Punk. Wow. You were joking. No. I suppose Rod Stewart's audience is of an age to be still buying physical copies. I guess so. But nevertheless, you know, if you'd measured up the column inches, you'd have assumed that Daft Punk had probably sold maybe fractionally more than Thriller mm. or something. But no, Rod Stewart. Wow. Way ahead. There's a man who knows how to uh, target audiences and find new markets. He announced his tour dates for next year. He's playing Somerset County Cricket Ground, Taunton. And you've got to say, that does make a change from the usual outdoor arenas because... Who in the Southwest ever gets to go to a local outdoor no, gig? No, no, quite, plenty quite, of people quite. there. Um, he's playing the Amex in Brighton as well, which again is not bad. I think it's the first fact yep. he's done thing there. Well, there you go. I'm genuinely startled by that, but I mean it's intriguing in that you realise if you listen to Radio Two as I do, this kind of separate sort of musical economy exists on Radio Two, and actually. It's really powerful. I mean, it is the biggest radio station in Britain. If it backs something, really backs something, it tends to become a hit. Mm. E.g., James Blunt's comeback single, which went into the top five 
seem to be, you know, have no impact anywhere else within the media other than on Radio 2 where it's played incessantly. Is Radio 2 the last kind of potent power base? You know, I don't know if getting on the Radio 1 playlist guarantees well, you a hit anymore. I think, mm. I think getting on the Radio 1 playlist guarantees you profile, probably guarantees you popularity, mm. prob- probably guarantees you that people are going to stream your video on mm. YouTube. People might go to your live shows. But yeah, it can't generate sales because the only thing that generates sales is an older audience. That's amazing. The Rich List came out the other day, which um, has Madonna at the top, like the yeah. highest grossest artist of this year. Because of her tour, yeah. And I was, yeah, and so as I was reading down the this list... This year? Her tour was last yeah. year? Yeah. No, no, the tour's carried on into this year. She's, she, uh, it's Forbes. Forbes says she's the, the, the wow. richer, the, the highest earning musician of 2013. Wow. Wow. From million. Oh, yeah, but all of the list when you when you look through the list is basically people who have had sell out live shows. Dre's on the list. You it know, has been that w- it has been that way for a while. You know, the, the big tour, two year jaunt around the world with your huge expenses does generate an enormous amount of money. Yeah, but in actually, which case the there, radio one playlist. The, there is still is money to be made. I, I was talking. I, I won't name the name of the artist, but a, a young British musician who's had um, a hit album. Maybe, you know, a big hit album, but you, you kind of assume that the royalties these days are so minuscule because mm. it's selling for 49p online yeah. or something that they probably only make 10 bob out of it and all the money's from live. And I was told, no, no, it made a million quid in the last year from sales alone. Let's move on to our interview with Ghost. These Swedish Satanists have a penchant for wearing masks and hooded robes on stage. Uh, it's kind of what Satanists do, I suppose. Uh, while the singer, Papa Emeritus... <laughs> that makes sense, Papa Emeritus. He's an emeritus professor. No, it's just, it's, it's emer- just an honorary title. He's it's not just really Latin that. words put together. He might <laughs> as well what have called emeritus? himself. What is emeritus? I don't know. You get emeritus professors, don't you? Oh, they're, the they're the people who, who right. used to be senior academics and now just brought on to add a bit of academic stardust and sit around in the background. Right. Okay. okay. But maybe somebody who has has more Latin than me, which wouldn't be hard, could tell us whether a Papa Emeritus actually means anything, or if he's just basically called himself Hickeycock Verulanium or something <laughs> like that. You know. Just, anyway, he sort of looks like a Roman Catholic bishop, I suppose you'd say, but gone gone terribly wrong. Opus Eponymous, their first album of heavy metal. Opus Eponymous, that sort of makes sense. Um, That was Grammy-nominated and gave them an international platform to uh, preach the message of goat worshipping. Their second album, Infestissimum, came out this year and is more focused on the presence of uh, devil and uh, the Antichrist. Anyway, they're all called Nameless Ghoul, um, but one of them, these Nameless Ghouls, spoke to Mark Barrows. If you have ghosts you have everything if you have ghosts you have everything you can say anything you want it's fair to say that you're the most melodic satanic band uh, putting out music in the world at the minute i reckon um, was that combination of kind of brutality and occultism and quite accessible rock music always the plan from the start? Um, yes, I think so. I mean, the, 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 the whole band originated from a few songs being composed and that sort of triggered the whole idea of, of doing it. And uh, it just happened to be uh, some sort of weird mesh of melodic, poppy elements combined with as you say, more brutal elements. Those few songs that that, uh, was there in the beginning was the thing that sort of got us thinking that, wow, this is actually something that feels fresh and and fun. And I think we see some sort of theatrical band in front of us (laughs) and sort of got our brains working, so. 
so it, you started off with one or two songs and the whole kind of thing, the whole kind of no one would know your name and no one would see your face, that all came sort of extrapolated out of that. Yes, on, on a very sort of early brainstorming level uh, when there was a few songs. I mean, obviously, I come from a from a sort of environment where you, we play in a lot of different bands and you, you write music just in general. You, you might end up with a few songs that are just on the side. And uh, these songs on the side were uh, a song called Stand By Him and a song called Death Knell. And it was like, wow, this this could actually turn into something really fun and exciting that, you know, we want to see ourselves. And that started a whole process of like, wow, maybe this band should be like a big theatrical, but wouldn't it be really creepy if you don't know who was in the band? Yeah, let's do that. But... How are we gonna, you know, uh, how, how are we gonna, how, how are we gonna move forward as a normal band? Well, this is not gonna be a normal band, so we have to rethink everything. That's why we sort of spent two years doing the whole first record, all the material, and sort of penning out all the all the characteristics of the band before we sort of started playing. Had we done the normal way, you know, have have a few songs and do a few covers and go down to the pub and play it, it, it would never really have worked out the way it did. There's a, there's a long history of occultism in rock, uh, of that kind of imagery, especially in Scandinavian rock, especially in the kind of extreme metal scene. But going back to kind of the satanic Bible and stuff like that, it's always been kind of underlying a lot of that stuff. What do you think, in horror movies, what do you think the appeal of that kind of crossover between occultism and music is? There's probably one very fundamental fascination with everything that is occult, especially in the Western world where we obviously are Christians, or we have a Christian background in some way or another. I think that everything that goes against that is obviously interesting, especially in the secular parts of the world where most people have sort of distanced themselves between, you might be religious or you might have a, a, a philosophical standpoint, but you sort of still see a difference between being religious and, and being alive, sort of. Ever since it started materializing in, in rock music and in, in, in cinema, especially in the 60s when everything sort of happened with the sort of satanic horror and the devil worshipping rock bands I think it was easy to sort of dive head first into without sort of having a philosophical turmoil there is a philosophy behind the band whether you take it the devil worship and and the goat worship literally or whether you kind of see it as a kind of outsider as kind of promoting an outsider perspective it's there there does seem to be a message there is that kind of um, Anton LaVey thing about melody being more satanic than brutality we see it as very multi-layered. Obviously, the the literal image is to, supposed to be a, like an overtly satanic, goat-worshipping ministry of pure evil. <laughs> but it's always harder to have an intellectual discussion about this without going outside the sort of cemented rules of, of, of religion, because Satanism and devil worship isn't really concrete the same way as Christianity is. It's an antithesis, and it comes in so many different forms. If I mean, sometimes people ask, "Are you really a, a, like a satanic band?" Well, it depends on who you're, who you're asking. Because if you ask someone uh, on the street in Memphis, they would say that we were deeply satanic, extremely blasphemous, and definitely going to burn in hell. Whereas if you ask someone in London, they would 
probably have to start to embroider some sort of theory about whether or not it is like that. At the end of the day, I wouldn't say that what we're doing uh, is sort of Levian in the sense of practicing anything that is said in the Satanic Bible. But obviously, it's slightly outside of the box of traditional linear religion thinking. But also, you have to remember that most people nowadays that have some sort of satanic inclination, it probably originates from some sort of subcultural interest, most likely music, or it's something that sort of originates from pop cultural. Uh, I myself started really taking an interest in, in uh, diabolical aesthetics when I was like 10, 11 years old. So for me, it's kind of hard to, there's a fine line between the intellectual view upon it and whatever spiritual view I have upon things and my aesthetic pref- preferences. Because at the end of the day, I just think that the devil is very cool. <laughs> uh, you see what I mean? It's yeah. like, uh, it, for me, I, I grew up with him. I grew up with pictures of Iron Maiden and Venom and and Bathory and, you know, the, the, the whole... He has been so present in my life in so many ways that it, it feels like my that's my home, that's my safe zone. The first record seemed very much uh, about the Antichrist is coming, prepare for the Antichrist. And the, uh, and, and the one this year, it's more kind of, this is here, and it's about bringing people together to realise until there seems to be a kind of message, almost a positive message of bringing people together under this kind of Church of Satan thing. <laughs> I think that that is as a result of the first record being conceived with no expectancy, except for our own. You know, we we had the feeling that, wow, the, the, the music makes us move. And the few people that we played it to liked it or hated it. So we knew that, okay, the, what we are doing, what we have in mind, will have the ability to move people. But obviously we didn't know that it would move a lot of people. As with most uh, artists that sort of have any sort of meaning on the agenda, you the more people that listens, you, you, you try to... Uh, be more specific and, and clear and try to widen it a little bit. When people are actually listening to what you're saying, you're trying to sort of be clear. That was Ghost. Do you have a new EP of a cover version? Including Abra, Alexis. They cover Marionette. I'm a Abra. Marionette. Um, and they cover Rocky Erickson track. Rocky Erickson, if you have ghosts, slightly inevitably. Uh, do you, anything else they cover? I think there's a Foo Fighters cover on there, but frankly, the Abba thing is. Uh, that's is the more main. That's the main. Yeah. That, that's Marinette. the point of interest for those of us who are not dyed in the wool Swedish Satanists. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only a part time Swedish Satanist oh, myself. <laughs> let's move on. It's time now for Singles Club. So let's start with Michael's Choice.
That's Michael's choice. That's Fat White Family. And Heaven on Earth, who I think are a genuinely intriguing group. Um, we live in an age where for young guitar bands to come through, they appear to have to practice gimlet-eyed careerism. Yeah. You have an absolute eye on the main chance. It's perceived that you know the market for guitar rock is so small now. And it seems wildly refreshing to have a group coming through who people are tipping and paying attention to, who are the absolute antithesis of gimlet-eyed careerism. I think you'd be hard-pushed to call what they're doing terribly original. I think anyone who listened to John Peel around about 1983, 1984 would have heard an awful lot of this kind of thing. I mean, the Gun Club is an obvious comparison, but then you can go into those really minor British indie groups like the Folk Devils, you know, had one Mm. single and Mm. then disappeared. But there's this sense of them being unconstrained that I find kind of really attractive. It's a big old racket that sounds it was recorded in a big empty room and they just got drunk and played it. I I suspect that getting drunk might be a major part of what they do. I mean, the stories one hears about them tend towards, um, if you're being uncharitable, uh, they sound like a bunch of cocks. If you're not, (laughs) they sound like they just live life to the full. In what sense? I don't have specific stories for you, Alexis, but I don't think they give much of a crap what people think about them. That's the impression I strongly get from people who who know things about them. Something of the cramps about them, something of the birthday party about them as well. They're definitely from that that sort of area, which is interesting because another band that's sort of tipped to a lesser degree called Witches, um, who are actually from Brighton. Um, And they too seem to me to be, you know, they're like the, the Sound a bit like the horrors when they first started. Yeah, Actually, which it sounds is, a bit like the horrors. Yeah, which started, is seem more studied to me. You mm. know, they're, they're kind of a lot of attention to period detail. You look at the pictures of the Fat White Family, and they're, they're they're not trying to wear the best Chelsea boots and the well. best tight black jeans. They do look like a bunch of people who've been in the pub and gone. <laughs> let's let's do a gun club trip. Right, 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 right. Wow. Okay. And okay. I, I think that there's something a bit fascinating about them. Um, now, whether that's going to translate into widespread public interest or whether they're going to be. I suspect that the truth is going to be more like ultrasound. You know, the press will go crazy for mm. them and four people will buy the record. But, you know, it, it, thinking about this, I mean, remembering the music industry in the 90s and thinking, actually, uh, sometime in the mid-90s, someone probably would have chucked a million quid at this group yeah, yeah, on yeah, the yeah. basis that they're getting yeah, The same person that signed Earl Brutus to Ireland, I yeah. imagine, would do it, yeah. And then they'll write off the million quid, whereas they're not going to get a million quid now. No. But it'll be, it'll be interesting to see, because there are people in the music industry who think, yeah, I could do something with this. You know, Mike Smith, who used to be at Sony Columbia, where he signed Sleigh Bells, not going to sell your records, Mike, no, 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 no. And is now a virgin. Yeah, I, I can imagine someone like him going, yes, a guitar band I can get excited about. We're going to put them out on a major. Whereas, actually, I think... For this group to thrive, they need—they actually need to stay. Who are they signed to at the moment? I don't know. It's—it's it's an indie. I can't remember the name. But of no, the it's not like Rough no, no, it's no, it's not one of. Trash mouth there. Kieran has well, one up on the underground garage drop there. Um, Kieran, what did you make of this? Um, well, I totally understand why you'd find them exciting. Because when I was listening to it and then just hearing it back then, I was thinking, God, if I was listening to this in my room as a 16-year-old, my mum would just be so worried about me. And think <laughs> I was def- Do you know what I mean? She'd which is definitely a good, Which think- is a function of rock music. Exactly. Really. The, the, that's the, 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 that's the, kind of what you want, isn't it? rock music doesn't do anymore and that baton has been handed on to hip-hop or grime or... You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. That kind of thing. And, kind of, and it's, it sounds kind of almost so alien and so outside of your comfort zone because I was reading Quietus piece about them and I think they're from like Peckham and, and sort of Campbell, that sort of area, which is where I'm from. 
and you know it's it's supposed to be this kind of like anti yuppie invasion type music and i just thought that's such a that's such a great way like a really unrestrained unpicking of gentrification to just get into <laughs> a room and you know just kind of scream on your well, guitars also, i mean it comes back down to the name as well you know fat white family which, yeah. terrible which name for a well it is a terrible name but at the same time it's it's positioning themselves so far outside what is acceptable so yeah, yeah. you know we identify with the people who the arbiters of popular culture decide uh, mm, way beyond the pale. Okay, okay. You know, to be fair, you know, fat white blokes in tracksuits are sneered at, and you know, wow. I'm not, these are not fat white blokes in tracksuits. They don't need to be, be that fat. But by taking, if they look like that. but yeah, by taking, by taking that name, I think they're they're sticking two fingers. I up think I think that, I think that's true. I would like to see a band that sounded like that, <laughs> that did look like fat white blokes in tracksuits. <laughs> that would just be amazing. <laughs> that just looked like totally. I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, and isn't it refreshing to sound someone who has sounds like they have the energy to be that angry and destructive? Yeah. Because you know what? I feel like so much that you here I mean I listen to Radio 1 and 1 Extra and you know a lot of that there is like a little bit of that kind of restrained anger that you might have had from sort of grime five years ago but really it's you know but then not what, one extra energy. you get the people really cutting loose I mean like James Arthur <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's interesting that you say that in that I think that the general temperature mm. of, of what you hear on Radio 1 I may have said this in the podcast before I've noticed it, 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 it's one of sort of bitterness more than anything it's all like yeah well you did this and you think that and the haters did this and it's not that kind of primal rah, you know yeah. what I mean that sort of dizzy rascalish the first dizzy rascal album where it's just like fuck everything thing you know i'm mad and you don't get you get less of that and yes that is kind of uh refreshing to hear uh, i have heard it before you know what i mean I, I, i'm I, i'm yeah. of an age that you know mm-hmm. the inca babies i don't remember them. Yes. you know um but that said it is, there is something if there's nothing i find more off-putting and depressing about guitar music particularly the guitar music that sells in in whatever quantities it sells in alternative than the sort of studiedness of it than the kind of sense of like yeah we've worked out a business plan this is not something that any of my favorite bands ever did you know um and whether that's you know i don't know any any it's just not something that any of my favorite bands ever did and i think it's kind of antithetical and i understand why bands are like that these days these are straightened times and we all need to make a book and all that kind of thing but then there's a little part of me that goes i, I, I don't know this kind of it's like oh well, you know it's impossible to make a living out of music oh it's impossible to make a living out of being in a band and it's like well was that really the primary impetus when the birthday party got together? It's like when the birthday party first, you know, and it came out of uh, whatever part of Australia they came from in this kind of heroin-addled sort of, you know. Well, they're sitting around going, well, you know, I tell you what, if we can't get a mortgage out of this, I, I don't think so. Was that what Iggy Pop was thinking about as he, you know, got his old chap out on stage? You know, you, this, you, if I do this... You didn't see the Velvet Underground Incorporated five-year forward planning document <laughs> you know, and commercial I, strategy I, thing I, that went up on eBay last week I then. sincerely <laughs> doubt the Velvet Underground had one of them. I, I, I just find that a bit sort of depressing. But, I mean, these are these are different times I appreciate, and the industry is very different, and no one's going to chop money. Whatever, whatever. Uh, I like the notion of people who sound like they, they're just... They're making the records because they want to. And if anybody else likes it... That's a bonus. Absolutely. So, Fat White Family, Heaven on Earth, around and about now. Let us move on uh, to Kieran's Choice.
That's Keitranada. Uh, Kieran's choice of movies at all. What curious times we live in. I know it from the uh, charts. It's an MK remix of something at number five. MK, he, the man who remixed Push the Feeling On by the Nightcrawlers. That's right. Which this record sort of reminded me of the MK remix of Push the Feeling On by the Nightcrawlers a little bit. It is more Deep House. Yes. Who is Keitranada? Kay Trinada is a producer from Montreal. Um, and Montreal. He's, Montreal. He's part of a collection, uh, a collective, sorry, called Selection, who are an LA-based uh, record label. And they do a lot of this kind of stuff, sort of music that is inspired by hip-hop instrumentals. And they have people like Kay Trinada, I Am Nobody, and Sango, who had quite a successful EP called North that was uh, released earlier in the year. This track at all has actually been around for like a month or two, but it's just kind of picked up a second wind in the last week because it's been playlisted on Mr. Jam Show. Right. Um, and it's kind of, you know, sort of it's got a video and it's been sort of shared around a lot. And the reason I, I really like this and I really like this kind of music they're doing is that if it's very sort of born out of forum culture. You know, this has come from hip hop forums. This has come from, you know, sort of Twitters and their podcast. They have a very successful weekly podcast called the Selection Podcast. Okay, okay. And so people, you know, have lots of diehard fans who kind of, you know, listen into it every week and they sort of, you know, have all these sort of secret understandings of, you know, the, the remixes that they've done. And Kay Trinada is one of the people who has sort of uh, transcended that a little bit. He came to London earlier this year and performed. He did a Sierra Body Party remix, which kind of garnered him a little bit more press interest, well, blog interest rather than press interest. And I thought that it was worth mentioning for that because everything that we pick is usually on the internet, but it's usually released from an EP or from mm. a label. And this hasn't really got anything like that. You know, it's just a track. That's it's out it's there. just a track. You know, it's it's part of the selection family, but it's far more like you know you're our friend, but we're not formally sort of releasing stuff for you. It's you know it's very much like oh, part okay, of a scene. Okay. The, it's you know the kind of thing where if they released you know a t-shirt or some merchandise, people would you know definitely wear the t-shirt and it would be part of an in-joke family. You know, they release merchandise and then you'd wear the T-shirt and it's and it's like you're, you're privy to something that's quite private and quite oh, niche, I see. Right. you know? Okay, so okay. That's, okay. Um, that's I like this track. I liked it a lot. I thought it had, uh, uh, again, there's a lot of stuff you brought in. It's somewhere to me between uh, Deep House and Two-Step Garage. Yeah. Sort of a lot of 90s flavour. And a bit of a reaction to the sort of really up-tempo house pop tracks that you're hearing in, in pop. Oh, it's definitely, it's definitely sort of a heads-down kind of yeah. shuffly kind of Definitely. thing. Um, it's deep. Um, I liked the sort of way they used the sample in it. I think the, the continual sort of warping and, and sudden kind of lurches in, mm. in sort of pitch of the sample and things like that were, um, were interesting. I would be intrigued to hear more by them. Michael, let us move on. Well, as you know, generally when I come into Music Weekly and we listen to one of Kieran's songs, I'm reduced to describing the kind of film scene in which I imagine hearing it, since I don't have the reference points. Okay, what, what kind of film scene? And in this it? film, in this film, Alexis... <laughs> oh, you want right, to fight with Kim Kardashian? No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not in the film at all. These wow. aren't my fantasies. Oh, okay. Ryan Gosling is walking into a chic bar wearing a very well-cut suit and mm -hmm. some kind of silk shirt. Mm -hmm. And he is talking to a slightly reluctant woman at the bar. They're both drinking cocktails. Okay. Not lagers. Yep. Certainly not pints of Stella. <laughs> Sophisticated cocktails. She's playing a bit hard to get. And this is the music in the background. Right. This is not the rough and ready up and up and club. This is not the scene where the crazed young kids mm. are driving along in their whip as I believe it's called. <laughs> uh, this is your sophisticated bar lounge scene. And actually, I've, 
it was pleasant enough, Kieran, but for me, it went on a bit. This, yeah. This track has been used loads for um, skate videos. You know how skate. Has it? Yeah, you know how like wow. skateboarding's making a comeback with those fish. Well, it never went away, but I'd always assume that skateboarding was still soundtrack by hardcore punk. <laughs> mm. No, this this track's been used loads in those. How strange! I always think I'd, I'd suppose it's the resonance of deep house for me. You know, from the the nineties deep house scene or whatever, um, are not of of kind of vibrant. You know what I mean? It, yeah. it was sort of, you know, kind of late night, 3am kind of music, you know, it's headphone quite good for headphones music. It always had a, a thing of about being more sophisticated because you had to listen more yeah. closely to it, all that kind of thing. So you're lying about sophisticated bar, Michael. Oh, well, there you go. The problem is I find with sophisticated dance music, because I'm not a listener on headphones you know, to dance music, no, right. and I'm not sophisticated, I do find that it tends to disappear from my consciousness yeah, even I as I'm listening to it. Pretty valid criticism of, of, of that stuff generally. Or at all by Kay Trinanda or Katrinanda if it's Canada. I don't know. Anyway, whatever, Kay Trinanda. Um, that's out and about now, floating around very big on the internet. Um, this is my choice. Uh, that's a beloved by Say Lulu, but remixed by Tie Dye. Honestly, I'm, I'm more interested in Tie Dye than I am in, in, in Say Lulu. Say Lulu are kind of a pop. Say Lulu, I think it's two Australian women and two <coughs> Scandinavian women. I mean, fundamentally, they are a record label marketing team's wet dream, and probably a certain amount of their audience's wet dream <laughs> as well. And I've been hearing about them for about six, nine months now. Right. Um, and yeah, they're, they're a very poppy group. I shouldn't really be too. This is your single. Why, no, why no, no, am no, I talking I, about I, them? I, so on the other <laughs> hand, Tie-Dye are, had a bit of heat around them a couple of years ago. They uh, did a track that came out on Italians Do It Better, which is a very highly regarded sort of disco, new disco, it's like Balearic kind of label, that featured Feist singing on it, actually. They did a couple of remixes around time. And I didn't hear any more about them, which is probably more down to me than down to tie-dye, probably me sort of losing touch with what they're doing. I had two choices this week. It was either going to be this, or it was going to be Errol Alkin's remix mm. of what they called Tame Impala. It just all boiled down to, do I want something that's kind of floaty and gentle and Balearic? Because Errol Alkin's is, is just boshing acid, basically. <laughs> really, really, so really relentless <laughs> boshing acid house. And in a snap decision, I thought, I think I'd like something that's got a song this week um, but do check out Errol Orkin's remix of uh, Tame Impala uh, which I believe is coming out on a, a 12 single I just liked it it floated along um, it's got it's a good song I like I suppose in a world of very direct pop music I was thinking this about um, the Blood Orange album as well actually yeah. you know pop music is very day glow and vibrant and direct in your face at the moment and that's you know it's very credible but it's, if you hear someone who's trying to make pop music in a slightly more I hesitate to use the word serpentine, but it's mm-hmm. a minor chords, it's a bit more gauzy, it's a bit strange. And that was uh, my sort of thought about listening to the Blood Orange Rock. I was like, I like this because it's slightly indirect in its yeah. attempt to be pop. And I think this is sort of true as well. I think it's a really good song. I think it get on the radio. I'm sure the original version is a lot more upfront than this, but there's something about the sort of gauzy, blissed outness of it that I well, really like. Well, for a remix, I thought this was pretty upfront, actually. You know, I mean, it's not one that, <laughs> that backgrounds the song. The, no. song, the song is still <clears throat> right up there, mm. completely in the foreground. You know, the top line melody is still there. Mm-hmm. You know? 
I like this. Excellent. Kira, did you like this? Yeah, I liked I liked how um warm sounding it is, mm. which is I feel like something we need at the moment. I really liked the sort of movement into a a, a club groove from mm-hmm. something that was a bit airy, girlish and sort of girl bandy even. I thought I thought it worked really well, and I like that it's it's sort of constantly changing. Yes, it does, like it does was, develop. It does develop. Yeah, three minutes in, the sort of vocals get a little bit clustered together, and it sort of really rises. And I thought that that was really beautiful. So it lends itself to a couple of listens, which I thought was really good. But yeah, I think what you were saying about um, Cupid Deluxe, the Blood Orange album, has that same quality that it really dislocates you, the listener, so you feel like you know what's coming, and mm. then you could, and then you almost get you know sort of you relax into it and then it, it shifts a little bit which is what pop music might be lacking at the, the blood orange album is my uh, uh pick of the week for anybody uh, bold enough to want to uh watch it is, me it is a good i agree with you about the blood orange album as well excellent right well that's singles club that is it for this week my thanks to michael Hound. thank you alexis thank you kieran no problem there is more on all of this at theguardian.com forward slash music kieran i'll be back next week see you then Bye-bye. bye bye Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life. Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, drag-and-drop tools, and 24-7 support. Squarespace also offers seamless e-commerce solutions for you or your small business. Every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website, so your content will look brilliant on any device. Start your free trial today, no credit card required. As a Guardian podcast listener, you'll get 10% off your new account by using the offer code GUARDIAN.